0: Turn my headphones up, nothing gon' stop me now, nothing baby, I'm here now, we here, it's your world, yeah. Yo, all I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one person front, my face on the front page, only
1: if I had one love, one girl and one
0: crib, one God to show me how to do...
1: So since this is your first time on the show, I'll do the full welcome just for you because you haven't been on the show ever before. So welcome again, listeners, to another COVID edition of RVA Dirt Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. Yes heard every week on wednesday here on wrir lp 97.3 fm richmond independent radio yay Ta-da. Ta-da. Yes. this week we have first district we've gone through all the districts all through all nine and we started backward because we're different
2: <laughs> we're different
1: and so because we're different. <laughs> and so now we're at the first district, which we coined earlier this year as we did the state of the districts. the first and fabulous. All of our districts have little hashtags we made up. So the first is the first and fabulous. So we're at the first and fabulous now with our candidates. And we have with us uh, Mike Gray. So welcome to the show. You're a first timer. So you've got a couple more tries to go to before you get to your green jacket. So Welcome. <laughs>
3: Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Tell us
4: a little bit about your background and why you chose to run in 2020 of all years.
3: (laughs) It seemed like a really good idea back in January when I decided. I bet.
1: (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) Right? Now that we're Woo! in the five hundred and fifty seventh day of March, maybe not so yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. Goodness. So yeah, uh, I grew up in Richmond. Um, I love Richmond. I was, you know, born at MCV, uh, grew up in the first district. This is a city that I really love. Um, and I really love where we have been going over the past you know 10 to 15 years. I think Richmond has a tremendous amount of potential and why I decided to run is really, you know, it's a it's personal for me. Um, you know, having grown up here, I've got friends here, I've got family here. I've got, you know, my house, my life. This is where I've built my business and, you know, have really put down my roots and I don't feel like we're getting the representation that we deserve from our current council person. Um, You know, somebody that has uh, consistently not uh, done what's in the best interest of residents, but for, but has been in the best interest of himself, you know, whether it be a smaller thing, like, you know, using $3,000 of uh, council funds to rent an office for himself in Scott's edition, which isn't even in the first district, um, or, you know, endorsing the Navy Hill plan just days after the mayor announced that there was a proposal from NH District Corp um, without a proposal being finalized at all. Um, He had so he either did not even see a proposal and just blindly, um, you know, endorse something or he saw it before other members of council, and I could tell you he didn't have any uh, communication with first district residents. Um, and it's so it's this constant pattern of waffling and not actually representing um, the needs and wants of the first district.
1: That definitely tells constituents why you chose to run right now in this very interesting time in 2020. With that in mind, and you kind of touched on a little bit of that in your answer, how or what do you plan on doing differently or what do you plan on personally doing for the first district if elected as a representative?
3: So the big thing, I've got uh, essentially five different uh, priority areas for me. The first is ensuring that our schools are given the resources that they need. And Councilman Addison likes to quote a statistic about uh, the funding that he's increased, which was really just a, uh, The numbers he comes up with are just related to the uh, meals tax. It's no real, no additional funding that he's been pushing besides what the administration has pushed. I'm proposing actually setting a binding agreement where 25 percent of all city revenues on an annual basis go to RPS automatically. Because I know in your last show, you had mentioned that at um, with Catherine Jordan and the second that sometimes the budget process can be contentious between uh, city council members and the school board. And I feel like if we walk into the budget negotiations with at least a baseline, we can of course negotiate up if the need is there. But let's put a baseline and let's take some of the political back and forth out of the equation. Um, I also want to increase accountability and transparency. you know I'm running against a candidate that rarely holds uh, forums and rarely sends out uh, communications. his constituents and so we're really never sure what he's going to vote on or how he's how what he's thinking about something so it's important you know in any elected body i don't care at what level that individuals that represent people be as transparent and as forthcoming as possible yet again i'm a big believer in representative democracy and so it's important that we have that. But we also need accountability within City Hall. And so I proposed several charter, City of Richmond charter changes uh, as well that will provide city council with additional oversight over the administration, but also give citizens additional oversight over their council members. Because what's good for the goose is good for the gander. <laughs> Affordable housing, you know, housing is gonna continue to be uh, a tremendous challenge that we face. I firmly believe Uh, personally, that housing is a right and everybody has a right to a safe, affordable place to call home. And so um, putting forth real solutions that will provide the um, home ownership or home rental opportunities to more residents in the city of Richmond is extremely important to me. I also want to grow the Richmond economy, um, you know, and we can do that by Helping our existing businesses, especially smaller businesses in the city of Richmond. And we haven't really focused on that enough, in my uh, opinion. We are constantly chasing major economic development projects, whether it be the Washington Redskins deal and now most recently Navy Hill, but we can, we really need to put more resources into place into our existing small businesses, but also providing every resident with the training uh, career development, professional development, training opportunities that they need if they want to enhance uh, their careers or, you know, step up in their careers. So, and you know, at the the last one is infrastructure improvements. You know, I feel like every council member is going to say that, but we've got to get a handle on our infrastructure because it's it's getting worse with each passing year.
4: Oh, yeah. Like, we're famous for crumbly streets and no sidewalks and
3: <laughs> street lights
4: out. I mean, like, and it doesn't matter whether it's an election year. We're constantly talking about it. Like, that stuff doesn't stop getting talked about.
1: Yeah. Several um, potholes have uh, ruined my car in the first district last year and this year. So, yes. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk
4: about it. Okay, so the first district, it's fair to say it's the most affluent district, fairly well off. As a city council person, you don't really just represent your district. Like, you have to make decisions for everyone, obviously. How do you see yourself relating to less well off districts and partnering with those council people to make life for the citizens of their district better?
3: It's all You know, I've got a lot of experience working with several members of council. I served on the Richmond Regional Planning District Commission for four years. And so I've got great relationships with several sitting members of council, as well as elected officials from our neighboring localities. It's all, you know, a give and take. I mean, you know, I never walk into any uh, conversation with someone about what can they do for me. It's always, I've always got to start with, what can I do for them? Um, And so I think, being productive and having a productive conversation like that is how I can help them is the way to do that. And unfortunately, we do have several members of council that like to just, you know, play these games with one another, which is not productive. But I feel like that's because they have not actually sat down and and tried to find out what's important to them. Um, Another
1: very big, important thing, I think that has probably shaped a lot of the election time right now with where we are in 2020 would be the continuation, really, it didn't just start this summer, but this summer kind of marked a special time uh, for Richmond with the protests and a lot of the social unrest that has just brought Richmond to the forefront on a national level, really, with a lot of different topics. But these issues were not new, uh, right? It's really been a continuation of several summers, several seasons of social injustice and racial inequalities and different things. How have those demonstrations and protests affected, or if they have, or if they have not, you can say that, but if they have, how have they affected your view on policy change and how you might, if elected to uh, city council, maybe change your lens?
3: We're finally having tough conversations in uh, the city. And having grown up here, um, I know that for a long time, we tried to gloss over a lot of these tough conversations that we needed to have. Um, So I'm very appreciative of the fact that um, we are having more substantial conversations about race and equity uh, in the city of Richmond and in central Virginia as a whole. And I shouldn't just say that, the entire Commonwealth of Virginia as a whole. Um, So I find that I'm I'm very, uh, I'm happy that that is happening. There are definitely, you know, a number of things that I think that have been put forth that are very good proposals. I am a huge advocate for the Civilian Review Board. I think that's an important uh, piece of legislation that, um, with subpoena power, that will help um, with this process. But from the very start, um, you know, before the murder of George Floyd, I have always believed and continue to believe that one of the best ways that we can um, help all citizens all citizens is through a comprehensive and bold affordable housing plan and i and the reason i say that is because there have been hundreds of studies over the past 10 years that show housing is linked to better health outcomes better educational outcomes um in a variety of things, wealth building, things of that nature. And I feel like that is at the core of what we can do to help make a more equitable city. And I I just, I know what I'm afraid of is when people hear affordable housing, they think of, um, you know, what we've already got, whether it be, you know, Wickham Court or or Fairfield Court. And that's not what, um, you know, I'm trying. Which isn't affordable. No. Exactly. But people, people. I feel like there are too many people that still don't understand what affordable housing is. And so I have been out there since January trying to educate uh, residents in the first district about the importance of housing and how it really can elevate everybody's life in the city of Richmond. And I think that we're on a pathway that We could really make a difference in the uh, lives of individuals by focusing on this, because I truly believe that housing is at the heart of equity.
4: Richmond's been hit kind of hard by COVID and our, you know, our budget has taken a hit, but we still have to find ways to generate revenue in the city. Do you have any plans uh, in that vein? What do you, what do you think we can do to recover financially from COVID and move us forward into the future?
3: Uh, There are a few things. Um, First, I don't feel like we've done quite enough um, in terms of supporting businesses, but also supporting our residents. You're right. You know, our revenues are going to take a hit, Um, but we've got to figure out ways that we can provide more residents. um, Again, getting back to housing um, with a safe place to call home rather than we've got this eviction diversion program, but I, I don't think it's enough. Uh, I proposed leaning on VHDA and creating a a more statewide eviction diversion fund um, because I don't, from what I've heard, that there's such a big backlog within the city of Richmond that we're just not getting to citizens fast enough. uh, And that's unacceptable in my um, point of view. So we're going to have to lean on uh, the state for a more comprehensive picture of this. We also need to uh, create a more robust grant program within the Economic Development Authority. I propose merging the uh, Economic Development Department with the authority so that we can support more small businesses and also, you know, provide that training um, through uh, our local community colleges, technical schools, things of that nature, so we can get more people back to work. We've got to figure out the restaurant side of things, um, you know, making sure that we have more outdoor dining opportunities. I mean, I know we're getting into October, but it's Richmond, so you never know. And it may not get cold until after Christmas. Um, That's the truth. (laughs) um, So, you know, let's take advantage of these few months and let's create more outdoor dining spaces so that restaurants can really thrive and have more opportunities there. Those are just a few. I mean, I could go down a long list. I, I just don't, yet again, I don't feel like we're doing enough. we really, we got to go big in order to, to stop this uh, or to stop the hemorrhaging and to make sure that every resident has the opportunities to, to uh, you know, make it through this crisis.
1: All right. And so for the last question, this is actually a question that came from one of our Twitter listeners. And we thought it was a really good question because it's something that has been um, being talked about as well. And it's kind of in vain of what you just were talking about. So if it's actually a perfect segue. You must have been looking at our notes. <laughs> the question is, how can a developmental strategy be implemented that allows for commonly held land to be entrusted to city residents for beautification, recreation, gardening, environmental stewardship, teaching, and generating income?
3: All of the above. Um, It's a good question. You know, the Maggie Walker Community Land Trust is a great opportunity for us to, um, you know, create more affordable housing. But one of the things that I proposed in the Mayorathon was the idea of taking city-owned land and essentially providing a 10 to 15-year lease uh, free of charge to civic associations. Um, So, you know, we find... These, there's plenty of land in the city of Richmond um, that's city owned, but leasing it to civic associations so that they can create community gardens or parks, pocket parks, uh, things that add you know value to uh, our communities that a lot of us take for uh, take it, uh, for granted. And the only stipulation being that over the course of the 15 years, that civic association is responsible for the maintenance of the community garden or park or whatever that may be. I. Th- It's not revenue generating. It's not going to be revenue generating for the city of Richmond, but I think it misses the point if we're looking for something that's going to uh, be revenue generating. I think that's something that just enhances the quality of life for residents. And I think that's more important than necessarily just putting something back on the tax roll. But this goes important to the, you know, I really believe in our civic associations across the city. You know, we've got some amazing civic associations. So, you know, I, I think that this is a, a, an, an idea that um, could really, really benefit them and our, and our city as a whole.
4: Thank you so much. That's it. That's our time. Can you let folks know how they can contact you and learn more about your platform, ask you questions, etc. cetera? Donate,
1: blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that yep. sort of stuff.
3: Absolutely. They can uh, feel free to email me. It's Mike at Gray4RVA.com. And they can visit my website, which is gray4rva.com. Great. Thank you so
1: much. Thank,
4: Thank you, you so much.
3: I appreciate your time. This has been awesome.
1: Yeah,
4: we Great. appreciate your time too. And good luck in your race.
3: Thank you. Yes, so we much.
4: hope to
0: have you back
3: on. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: All I need is one mic. All I need is one mic. One mic.
4: We're in our last candidate forum for the districts, and we're doing the first district city council, obviously. And uh, we're, we're pretty stoked on it. First it's and well fabulous. So yep, first and fabulous. It's gone well so far. And so we have our last candidate to interview, and uh, we'll let him introduce himself because that's what we do here. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. You've run for a few different offices before, so uh, why why city council at this particular time?
5: Well, my name's Mike yep. Dickinson, like you said I've run, I've been around for a minute. I've been in Richmond for a little while. I've done a lot of things here. I'm running for City Council this year because we need somebody who's outspoken, who gets things done, and who will push the envelope and hold people accountable and get things done. We have a terrible, we have a terrible City Council now that doesn't accomplish anything. They've, le- they've left the citizens of Richmond hung out to dry the last 4 or 5 months. The city's been turned into a war zone and it's unacceptable and we need someone who's going to get up there and go to city council and, and fight. So what are the key issues in the first that you think need the most attention right now? The number one issue in the first district is public safety. The public say people are scared to death about what's going on in Richmond. People are scared to death about the future of the city. People are scared to death about having their, their family come to Richmond and visit them. It's, it's demonstrated. If you look all along I was on broad street today, I was down in Carytown the other day for rent signs, all over the place. People are scared to death. Even if you look on Monument Avenue and over in Windsor Farms, there's been a lot of real estate activity the last couple of weeks. People are scared to death that Richmond is gonna be unsafe, that, that, uh, that the police are not getting back, that, that basically the city that they, they, they moved to and they, they've invested in by living here is gonna be torn, torn in, and turned into Portland or Seattle. And people don't like that. People want a safe city. So that's the number one district is people are very, very, very upset about the future of the city and they want to know that it's going to be safe.
4: All right. Well, we're going to ask a question that actually comes from one of our fellow Twitterers, Daron Chavis. How can a developmental strategy be implemented that allows for commonly held land to be entrusted to city residents for beautification, recreation, gardening, environmental stewardship, teaching and generating income?
5: I mean, is that really government's job to try to find ways to give that to people? I mean, is that really government's job? I would say that that's not something we have much bigger problems to worry in Richmond about right now than trying to find out how to handle, try to have how to make public gardens. I'd say until we... One, fix the police department and get them backed up and funded and, and, and let everybody know they're safe. And two, we fix the schools. Everything else needs to be put on the side burner side burner right now. So I appreciate his question, but right now we have much bigger fish to fry in the city.
1: If elected, you wouldn't be governing just the first. You'd be making decisions for everyone in Richmond, even though you, are, you would be the first uh, district representative, if elected. What are your plans for growing revenue and bringing more businesses here to the city in general while dealing with the affordable housing and eviction crisis that is kind of an issue across the whole city?
5: Well, I personally think that we should have never shut the city down to begin with. That was a colossal mistake, and that's going to hurt business. And when businesses aren't open, the jobs are not there to be had. So I feel that our mayor mismanaged the, the whole pandemic response, really. I feel our governor did, too. There's other states that have opened up and they're doing they're doing fine. There's been no, no severe outbreaks. There's been, you know, this whole the whole Corona pandemic began as 15 days to stop the spread. Then it was 30 days to flatten the curve. And now four months in it's oh my gosh, oh my gosh, no one can ever, ever get sick again. So, I feel that our our mayor and our and our governor mismanaged that, and they 've really hurt the city and If you look at the city it's just i mean it's a, it's a it's a bloody battlefield out there of businesses that are closing left and right just because between people not be, between the shutdowns and then people being afraid to come into the city because of the riots and the destruction that that's to me that's that's that is what um yeah um well, Tom, what was your what was your question again? I, I started talking about the Corona pandemic response. Um, oh, what are your the plans development, for and...
1: growing revenue. Yeah, what are your yes. plans for growing revenue to bring yes. more businesses here? Yeah.
5: Well, one, I would like to see all the businesses reopened immediately. I would like to see us repeal the restaurant tax. The restaurant tax was a horrible tax that city council enacted in 2018. I think it was a horrible, horrible, we pay more to eat in Richmond than we do anywhere else, any of the surrounding counties. And people may think that, oh, well, we're gonna gonna pass that to the restaurants, but that really indiscriminately hits poor people a lot because they can't afford to drive and go out to the suburbs to eat. So we have the restaurant tax, which needs to, and that also hurts businesses because if I'm opening a business and I have a choice between Henrico and Richmond, I'm going to pick Enrico because the restaurant taxes in there i also think that we need to freeze the property tax and at least at least in the short term until we until we get government stabilized and we get the city stabilized so that people will feel feel comfortable about the services their city's getting because right now you know people are getting my my, my property assessment went up 17 percent and i think that's unacceptable when there's been a lot of damage done to the city the last four or five months. Uh, if, I, if, I had, if I had kids, I would be livid because you're paying all this money and the and the business model of schools have changed. Supposedly, we have a now an $18 million surplus, according to an article that was in the Times Dispatch this morning. So that money needs to be given back to the business owners or to parents in the form of, of tax credits, or just give it directly back to the taxpayers. But... So my, my whole way my whole way of thinking with with driving business and the economy is that we need to look to lower taxes whenever possible and empower empower businesses to to do their thing and get government regulation out of the way. So that would be how I would do it.
4: All righty. You're no stranger to controversy. You know, you of course. Vocal, Yeah. Uh, vocally support Donald Trump, Proud Boys, Roger Stone, you've recently doubled down on that. You've spoken well, out and um You can answer in a second, Um, you know, you've spoken out and acted out in some occasions against protesters. How have the demonstrations and calls for systemic change in policing and government affected your policy goals?
5: Well, I would well, so yes, I support President Trump, yes, I support Roger Stone, three, uh, I don't think I've ever said I support the proud boys they they came to the club and they were nice, I had no bad problems or interactions with them, but I, I don't know if i I mean I'm not gonna i don't I don't know anything about their organization other than what I read in the press and my own experience when they were there they were they were good people when they were at the club that night. I didn't have any problem with them um so I, I don't know if i would go so far as to support them i mean they were nice when they came to the club but that's my, that's the end of that's the beginning and end of my, my interaction with them um, you know roger roger may know them or whatever but and I, I support roger but as far as the the proud boys and all that stuff goes you know like i said the beginning and end of my interaction with them is when they come to the club like anybody else so i don't know if i would say i support them They. Other than what I just said, Um, as far as uh, controversy and what was your question, was uh, what do I think about the systemic racism, systemic? So, your question.
4: The question is how have the demonstrations, because also you've had some interactions with protesters as well, and some thoughts on on the movement and the social justice movements that have been going yes, on in Richmond. Yes, yes. Um, how yep. the demonstrations and calls for systemic change in policing and government affected your policy goals?
5: Well, I would think my policy goals, I've always been somebody that likes law and order and supports the police. I would say that in America, you have a right to, you have a right to express your opinion and protest, but you don't have a right to break the law. So I would say that as, as far as how it's impacted my policy goals, I would think just out of sheer necessity that it's made me even more of a staunch advocate of the policing department and that we need to, to verbally and, and financially everything we can do to, to back them because without them, they're the backbone of Richmond. Um, so I would say as far as the movement overall, I, I don't even know that we have a systemic problem or, or systemic racism problem. I think that if you want, and if you say we do in the city of Richmond, Look who's, run, look who's run Richmond for 50, or 50 years, the Democrats. Look who's been the mayors of Richmond. It's been all African-American except for Tim Kaine, and he's a big Democrat. Look who has consistently made the decision to take money away from and not, not fix the schools and put money into other projects. Even now we have this debate. In the first district, you know, my one of my, my opponent, Andres Addison, he loves these bike lanes and he loves buses. And I personally feel that these are all things that millennial white people do to make themselves feel better because they're not actually fixing the problem, which is the schools and creating accountability for the schools. Um, that's how you end all of this. You have to fix the schools until you fix the schools. I mean, we spend 1.8 million allegedly to take the statues down, but would that money have been spent better on something else? Uh, you know, you can't, my, my whole view is that we have a city that's run on finite resources and we need to spend those money, those monies and those budgets on things that gonna get the most impact and actually fix the problem, not make us feel good about it. So when I, when I hear people talk about, you know, and it's been in all of these forums that we've been on. They talked about, um, um, you know, access to parks and, and red lines and all this other stuff. That's all fine and dandy to talk about, but that doesn't fix the problem or start addressing to fix the problem now, which is if you really want to fix generational poverty and lift people out, you have to fix the schools before you fix anything else. And not just the physical structure of the schools, you've got to fix the administrative structure of the school so you get results we're paying more now than we've ever paid before for a school administration and for a school superintendent and over the last three years our results in the schools have gone down we have we, i think our, our our graduation rate in richmond city is 73 percent. the state average is 93 percent. it's gone down over the last three years under the superintendent uh, one out of four kids in the class of 2020 dropped out so we're not getting the results we're just not getting results and if you if you want to talk about really ending the problems that we have it starts and ends to me with creating accountability and fixing the school system one of the questions that I wanted to make sure that I
1: asked to give you a chance to talk about it, and you kind of led right into that segue. If elected, how do you plan to work with the elected first district uh, school board representative to tackle some of those issues that you were just talking about with RPS, like uh, the buildings, facilities, administration? I know that you're not running for school board, but city council does have a major piece of tackling some of those issues like the budget, per se. You know, how would you tackle some of those um, issues?
5: Well, if the school board representative, Liz Doerr, wants to work to create accountability and work to get results, I'm all ears and happy to help. But I'm not going to be a very big supporter of writing checks and not not getting results like we have now. I think that every budget we need to analyze and we need to really hold the purse strings. And if we're not getting results, they got to make a change because, I mean, government is the only job that rewards Incompetence, or that re- that rewards the failing results. In any other business, if you were hired to oversee a school system, and in the in the two or three years, in the three years you were there, the results actually got worse. You would have been gone already. Especially if you were being paid more. So my view is that when it comes to the budgeting or or, or how we're going to get things done within the school system, it begins and ends to me with getting results. And if somebody, anybody wants to work on getting results. I'm, all, I'm I'm happy to help but it's not going to be a blank check and it's not going to be you know let's reward mediocrity because that's what Richmond City Schools does now it rewards me it rewards the mediocre and to me we just pay more and more and more and we get less and less and less
4: what's your goal like okay right off the bat first thing like if you win mm-hmm. what's your first paper that you're going to introduce
5: we're going to fix the pay system that our fire department and our, that our fire department has. It should be an easy fix, but it's terrible. It's terrible. The, 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 the pay, the pay system. They have. Current, the current pay scale or the COLA? The, they, when I met with, I met with the fire department, the police department's, I guess, workers association like two weeks ago. And they were telling me the fire department was educating me about how terrible their, their pay system is where you get hired and you get hired and you don't know, it's not laid out for you. You don't know. You don't know on year, you don't know when you get hired on year 10 what you're going to make. And I guess it's funded it's funded yearly i guess on the budget on the budget it says if funds are available to fund the fire department and it's crazy to me that we that we run a government that way and there's some things with the with the police pay also that's like that that's like that so i think that we need to we need to look to try to make all of our city agencies be run as businesses and not just fly by night not just you know, people need to know when they come to work what they're going to get paid. I mean, it's it, it just mind-boggling to me that we have a fire department that's supposed to risk their life and get things done, and there's no cl- there's no clear career path and there's no clear pay path for them to go to. So to me, that's just crazy. It should be it should be a simple fix. I mean, it should be something we can sit down and we can get done and we can get handled. Beyond that, I would also like to see us, you know, work to create accountability in schools and you know work on bills that will do that if they want money they got to produce the numbers and, and get things done well i think that's
4: it's time
1: i think that's time that's i think time. it is right
4: yep my yep. alarm is going off yeah. so that is time thank you so much for joining us um uh, yes, yeah before we uh bounce out of here please let everyone know how they can contact you read up on your platform ask you questions etc you going buy-
5: then go to my website, they They go to my Facebook page, uh, The Real Mike Dickinson. I, I post on there all the time, pretty much nine or ten times a day. I do Facebook Lives all the time. They can chime in on. So I'm not hard to find.
1: All right. Thank you. Good luck in your race.
5: All right. I see you all later. we'll see
1: you on November 3rd.
0: All I need is one life, one try, one or one man. What I stand for speaks for itself. They
1: don't understand.
4: So Fran, will you help usher in our guest?
1: Yes. So we're proud today to have a repeat guest with us, our current representative from the first and fabulous district, first district of Richmond, Councilperson Andreas Edison. Good
2: to be here, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yay!
1: Yay. We're happy to
4: Welcome have you back. back. Welcome back. Yes. Uh, thank you. While you're here, <laughs> could you tell us just a wee bit about yourself? Uh, refresh us, maybe, on your greatest hits from this first term? Sure, Uh,
2: absolutely. Um, This first term has been a uh, roller coaster of sorts. Definitely had a lot of moments along the way that have tested my leadership ability, tested my ability to see through uh, the complications of what the city needs in terms of decision making from the people that are elected to make decisions, whether it be by policy, budget, or other things. Most importantly, I think these last six months have tried everybody in the city, let alone the country, as we've navigated many different issues together. So uh, for me, I think looking back over the first three years as a total, uh, there's been a lot that I worked through. I think my biggest accomplishment that I would say I'm proudest of is I ran on improving public schools and I have supported investing $22 million of additional funding into our classrooms to support the success Of our students and teachers. And I think that is first and foremost, one of the key parts of the future of our city. Uh, Four years ago in this studio or in this conversation we had, I definitely said that I think the best economic development investment we can make as a city is improving public schools. So $22 it might not be everything they needed, but it's everything that we could put together for that. I think that shows you the ability for me to step forward and find ways to definitely navigate funding those children and their future. Another one is going to be my support for improving access to city services. When I was elected in 2016 and served served in 2017, we could attest for about eight different service request types to be submitted by the public in the City Hall. Now with RVA301, which I've worked with lock and step with the administration on implementing because of my previous record working in City Hall, driving a call center's operations, we now have over 60 service requests. Last year alone in 2019, 4,900 requests for service were submitted by citizens and myself in my office for citizens uh, to the City Hall. And that's incredible because those are services we can track, we can definitely follow up on to make sure that they get done. Um, we are almost, I think, 100% complete with all those requests from last year. Some are complicated, can't be fixed overnight or in a couple of weeks of time period. But that just shows you the dedication that I put forth with the administration to make sure we make City Hall accessible to them. Um, and the, for me, that's kind of one of my, my biggest aspects of that too. But lastly, and this is something that's taken me like two years to do, I lobbied for the regional aspects of creating the Central Virginia Transportation Authority. And the reason why that's so important is that it creates regional funding for GRTC, increasing their budget by 50%. Uh, more importantly, it gives them access to the regional um, expansion of Routes to uh, across the Henrico and Chesterfield boundaries, which is really important for our residents to have more access to jobs and new job centers. Uh, furthermore, this new authority has also created a tripling, almost a tripling, of our city's paving budget, which means that I'm able to get more streets paved uh, than ever before. Uh, by the end of my first term, over uh, 40% of all first district streets will have been resurfaced. And that's almost triple any previous term before me. And so that just shows you the commitment of making sure that I put our best foot forward in addressing our biggest needs and problems as a city. As a City, also as a district. And for me, one of my key things I've always said too, is I believe that the needs of the first district can drive the change in the entire city. And that's what those three examples have done.
1: Continuing with that line of thought, what made you run again? And how do you plan to either continue with some of those plans or what new plans do you have if reelected for the first district?
2: I think the, the biggest question to answer in that with, with my experience has been, I'm not done yet. I, the, the things I've accomplished are great and all. And I think that they are a testament to my leadership. But just because I've a- able to check a couple Boxes off doesn't mean that they're fully solved. I believe that in their you know educational funding, I, I'm impressed and I'm happy with what we've been able to accomplish together as a city. But there's more needed. Um, we need to really focus on resources in the community. I think we've seen through COVID nineteen and the um, economic recession a truly big digital divide in city in residents across our city. What I mean by that is as we go home with Chromebooks and a, maybe a hotspot to have that make sure that internet access uh, for learning from home in a virtual environment is possible, we're finding that that might be the only home internet access in many households. So. When think about our daily lives, we have internet literally at our fingertips 24 seven. And we have we're meeting families that don't even have that environment at home. So more importantly, not just because of having to learn virtually is needing internet access, but more you're seeing children being sent home after school without that environment. And so we need to find ways to bridge that divide together and truly put resources not just in the children's hands, but the parents and guardians that are there at home helping sure they achieve goals in their educational learning every day. And for me, that's a big paramount priority for me. Uh, one things, One of the things I did last year was supported the small cell um, attachment agreement. Long story short, it's ability for providers like Verizon, AT&T to put 5G antennas on city-owned utility poles. So it's a lower cost for them, higher impact for us. I really pushed with those providers to make sure that they did a tech equity initiative, which I'll be rolling out in the next couple of weeks around focusing on that exact priority. These going into neighborhoods that are the more lower income, but more importantly, allows for us to remove as many barriers as possible to getting high-speed internet into homes because a lot of times putting fiber is expensive. And so these are the types of things I think that are next. I've laid a lot of foundational um, improvements to the city. I want to make sure we do that on a broader scale. And the next thing too is just because we've increased funding for paving, just because we've increased funding for GRTC doesn't mean we're fixed yet. We've got a lot of work to do to make sure our roads and infrastructure are not only paved and taken care of, but maintained that way. Now, one of the things that I've seen over several audits has been that when a utility cut comes into our road to fix water main, sewer main, or whatever the case may be utility-wise, they're not repaired to the standard that they were torn up. meaning that the money we spent paving that road is now eroded by the fact that we had poor repair work done when a utility repair was needed. We need to protect our investments. We need to make sure we go further with that. And I think those are the types of things where now I've fixed the problem of funding. Now let's fix the issue of of protecting that investment. I think that goes to the next thing with just protecting our future. We've made a lot of progress. I highlighted some good improvements. Um, But the things we need to do next uh, is taking that access to City Hall through RVA 301, you know, great 60 request types. Now let's focus on efficiency. Now let's focus on effectiveness. Let's now focus on the quality of delivery. Let's get that service not just completed, but done in a way that we can budget and fund so that it's done no matter what. And that to me is the next step. These are great accomplishments I've achieved over my first term. I'm very proud of the work we've been able to do. But the next step is going to be those next level gains and growths and protections to make sure we're doing the investing with every dollar we get.
4: The next question I have for you actually comes from someone on Twitter that we happen Mm. to be uh, friends with. And so I thought it was a really great question. Why not Ask it. How can a developmental strategy be implemented that allows for commonly held land to be entrusted to city residents for beautification, recreation, gardening, environmental stewardship, teaching, and generating income?
2: So this is Duran Javis's question.
4: It sure is.
2: Well, I love this question because it's something that I believe it's important for Richmond, especially as we're looking at a recovery mm-hmm. of our city in what we do with our land, what we do with our development projects, and how we set an expectation for meeting the demands and needs of every resident in the city of Richmond. So for me, I've been really advocating for a strengthening of an economic development strategy and really focusing working on elevating the needs we have as we do investments to support addressing our biggest needs. Most importantly, affordability. I think we need to make sure every development that uses a city resource, either city land or receives a tax incentive, needs to require and affordability at a matrix level that's supporting of the lowest um, families' needs we have in our community. Meaning not just affordable housing at 80% AMI, which is gonna be for mostly what we have for college students. I mean, lower than that. We need to support families who are at 30, 40, 50% AMI. Here's why, upward access and mobility. We need to be able to show families that there's places all across our city that can be available for them to move into. Job centers that are accessible to them, public transit, good quality schools for every family. And that's gonna happen with what we build next. More importantly, I think that that question is making sure it's done in an accountable way, energy efficiency has to be paramount in that. Whatever they build has to be as energy efficient as possible and supporting the future and sustainability of our our community. I also believe we need to focus on keeping with that aspect, what I would call a community benefit agreement, where you're setting the expectation for all these achievements to be done and tracked in that manner. In each of these types of investments, I think there's an opportunity to align our minority business development opportunities to meet the needs of every type of project, whether it's in the construction of it, or it's once finished, filling it in with a small business or other opportunity that that new development provides. And I think that there's a lot of use of making sure that we protect green spaces throughout that aspect too. One thing I feel like is, is gonna be crucial is our our urban forests, our urban gardens, and other aspects of growth in our community. And I think that the more vibrancy, vibrant we can make our community to include those in everything we do in the future, every project, not just when we want to, but every project, we can avoid some of the issues we've seen across our city. Um, but there's another piece of that too. And I think that the New York Times has highlighted something that we've probably known about, but that put the data and analysis that they have uh, put for the story, which is the historic redlined impact of lack of investment we have all across our city that has shown a true heat index and asthma-related impacts of those families who live in those areas. I believe that we need to make sure we support uh, protecting those families who live there, who own homes there, and who reside in those neighborhoods from the opportunity that might be pr- available for private development to come in and do these exact types of projects. We need to make sure we don't gentrify a community in a negative way, but grow in providing the needs that are absent jobs, affordable housing, et cetera, protecting those who live there today. Because the most important thing to do is those families and those residents are the vibrancy of that community. They're the lifeblood of whatever is there. They need to stay. They need to be able part of whatever that future holds. And we don't need to push them out. There's a fine line and balance we need to do. And I believe that there's some powers we might have at the local level. I also think there's some powers we do not have. And we need to go to the General Assembly to ask for I think protecting families and for, against gentrification is going to be a key challenge for the future of our city. We've seen it across the country, and I think we can do a lessons learned from those stories instead of waiting for that tidal wave of housing issues to hit us, prepare ourselves to make sure we build that all together, protecting the f- families today, and providing a future for everyone tomorrow. And I'll repeat that yes. to Duran if he wants me to.
1: We'll make sure he knows that uh, yeah. you answered. So, kind of right in line with that, since we're talking about a lot of the social injustice and things that we've dealt with here in the city, this summer was uh, marked with protesting and just social unrest due to really an endless amount of summers of and seasons, really, mm-hmm. of a lot of social injustice dealing with black and brown people. Having the protests come directly here to Richmond and stay here for a long time, how have the protests and Those demonstrations affected how you look at policy change on council, and how will they maybe shift or change if they have? Um, How you plan to, if reelected, maybe shift the way that you look at
2: uh, policy writing in the city? I think we've learned a lot together, collectively as a city, as a country. I think the uh, the accounts of this summer, like you said, they're not just this summer. This is many, many summers and events previously. I believe that there's a lot of challenges facing our city today that have been generational uh, and things that we have not truly, I think, put in the in, in the priority level they need to to truly move the needle. And I'd I say that not in judgment. I say that as part of just how decisions are made and how I think we leverage um, what little amount of resources we as a city ha- uh, have available to us um, to truly address three large pressing issues. I think to me, when you see the systemic challenges facing our community, um, these protests have really highlighted some needs of concern. We have a lot of geographically isolated, low-income neighborhoods that um, for people, if they want to avoid them, they can't, meaning they can avoid seeing poverty, they can avoid seeing a low-income community neighborhood, a low-income community school, or whatever. The fact remains, they still exist, and they have for a long time. And I think the longer that they remain, us and them, over there and different, they'll perpetuate and continue. And for me, we can't do that anymore. We can no longer sit by and let the decisions that have been made over many decades uh, continue to have a foothold today. And now it's going to take time to overcome that. But I believe that when you, you see a, a public housing neighborhood community that has not changed in 70 years, be a problem of a focus of this today, and realizing that they're just, there are very few opportunities of access that are available to them in those communities because they are isolated. They're hidden by a highway and a big bridge that connects you to downtown over the Chaco Valley. And there's just this not lack of, in, in, I guess, integration. And I'm all about equity and diversity and inclusivity. Which was purposeful. Oh, I know. Absolutely. And we try to create highways even through them to make it even easier to get in and out of our city. And the challenge I think today is that, you know, when we look at our problems, we look at, well, we'll just fix this a little bit here and there. Our budget only increases by an inflation level rate, two to 3%. Well, as a staff, as any company, every cost is going up. We're behind in raises. We're behind in training of our employees. We're behind in technology investment. We're behind in our benefits. We're behind in all these other costs. So by the time you get to whatever's left, look at a couple, couple million dollars. We have probably three separate $1 billion problems, public housing, public education, and infrastructure. You're never gonna fix it with a couple million a year. So we need to think bigger. And to me, what I think the question to me was, I learned a lot from my friends, stories that my friends who I've known for many, many years felt now comfortable to tell me because of such intense, intense conversation on a protest level um, scale. Um, on such a consistent basis. And I really, I valued that because it's really changed and added to my perspective of what the city really needs. And I think for me, it's also highlighted, I think, a need for love and compassion of those differences. I think to me, we need to get to a place of civility and understanding that I have an experiential bias because of my upbringing and who I am and what I am today, that I can say what it took for me to get to where I am. I overcame challenges. I overcame obstacles and hurdles. I failed. Um, but to the end, I cannot use my experience and say how someone else can get to the same position. It's just not going to be the same. But yet, that's how we solve problem. You're hungry, here's some food. Oh, you don't want a house? here's a house, or here's temporary housing, or you need this, you need, that can no longer be enough. And what I mean by that is we need to truly transform how we do that. If those public housing neighborhoods that were built intentionally 70 years ago remain any longer without a true strategy of changing that and dismantling those aspects, we're no, we're going to still keep that aspect happening. Those stories are going to continue tomorrow. And for me, I can't accept that. And so for me, one of my biggest changes I'm looking to do is I've always been asked, what can the first district do to support these priorities? I'm putting a, together an idea, a concept, a plan that I want to not just doing the first, but see what else we can do around the city. Broad Street from Powhite Parkway, Hamilton exit off of the uh, Powhite 195 exit, all the way to Willow Lawn is in the first district. And there's very little activity and growth or any development going on in that area. I believe that we can make that be a TOD zone property, which can mean height and density. First floor commercial. We can include, like I said earlier, affordable housing requirements. We can, af- we can make sure we support that equity, equity growth of whatever's built in there as well. It can be high. It can be eight stories. There's no viewpoint shed you're avoiding or hurting in that capacity. But more importantly, let's draw a footprint around this development area. Let's see if we can put some of that money into Thomas Jefferson High School, into Albert Hill Middle School. Those have a lot of needs of that's going to be taking decades to fix. What if I can support revenue in this growth area? to support that, meaning that the other money going to schools can be doubled up in another school. I'm not taking away any money. I'm not selfishly trying to put this money only in my school. I'm trying to say, I have an opportunity to put money directly into this school. Let's make sure those schools who might not have that access like this does to get more money, to be fixed quicker, to be addressed in a sooner and a a quicker footprint. Meaning... I can inc- create an inclusive community on Broad Street, on the Pauls Corridor, with access to healthy foods, with access to great quality schools that are walkable and or bikeable, and support the improvement of those schools at the same time while attracting private investment and not giving up any money to do so, and free up other revenues to change other communities." in this tune where they don't get now. I think in that space, there's a huge opportunity to look at that around our entire city. We could transform Carver in a very similar way, in a similar footprint. John B. Carey has some land all around that school that if we were to identify that and target it for good development, could transform that school. Meaning if we took of our 44 public schools and put about eight to 10 of them in these types of zones, you're going to make 25% of our funding available for more schools. And that means that deferred maintenance gets done quicker. That means that every million dollars more of that plan, it's done in those schools that need it the most. Because to me, that's the most important thing. One of the biggest decisions I had to make with the meals tax vote that I've been criticized or or applauded for was the decision because I... I went to George Mason Elementary and I smelled on the third floor, a rotting, this this decrepit bathroom in the basement. And I went to Mary Mumford and I paid $1,000 out of my district funds to fix the boys' bathroom. And I go, how come this school has the same problem one can fix it on their own and the others can't. And why can't RPS fix both? And you start realizing we've delayed investment for so long, it's never going to catch up. So if we truly want to transform our, our trajectory. We really uh, want to address the concerns of things that have been chanted out on our streets for, the, for over a hundred plus days. The only way to do that is to think outside the box. We cannot fix this the way we got here. And to me, the problem is I've seen that approach done, my three budgets that I've been a part of on city council. And I want to change that. And that's one of the other reasons why I want to one for re-election is that ideas like that change the conversation. It changes the level of opportunity and access. And to me, that's what I think our city needs to do next.
4: Dude, you just answered my last question for you.
2: Do you want to ask it anyway?
4: No.
1: <laughs> no. No. I don't, I don't nope. need
4: to. You, you answered my question on education. i going to um, ask you... Um, what do you feel your obligation is to uh, RPS? Uh,
2: that that's what it is.
1: Tell your constituents and and our listeners how they can uh, hear more about your platform, connect with you. How to, you know, donate to you, blah blah, blah blah blah, all that good stuff.
2: Well, one of the best ways to stay up with all the things that are around this campaign is uh, my website AddisonForCouncil.com. There's also a Facebook page AddisonForCouncil as well. Uh, they'll both be sharing updates, uh, either events or posts or things going on around my my project. I am looking forward to putting out a plan, my economic recovery plan, which will highlight several of the things I've talked about during my our interview today. And so one of the things you'll see is there'll be some plans coming out in terms of that capacity. Um, And that's the best way to follow suit with that. As always, uh, if you have any city council issues, you can always email me at andreas.addison at richmondgov.com for those concerns about service requests and other issues. But please keep my campaign stuff related to my campaign address. So definitely go to andreas at at addisonforcouncil.com. Again, andreas at addisonforcouncil.com. And again, thank you so much for this opportunity.
4: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming on and good luck in your race. Um, This is quite a race. We didn't really get to talk about that, but woo! It's
2: it's very Uh, fascinating.
4: This episode's going to be hot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Turn my headphones up. Nothing going to stop me now. Nothing, baby. I'm here now. We
1: here. It's your world. Yeah.
4: Hello.
6: Hello.
4: Hello. How's it going uncontested? How's that feel?
6: Um, It's good. It's good. Um, For my, sorry, my dog is, my dog, Lady David Bowie, wants to be a part of this.
1: Lady Uh. David Bowie? (laughs)
6: Lady Lady. David Bowie.
1: That is a hell of a name. My dog no longer feels worthy. His name is just Scooter.
6: Yeah, it's good. Um, you know, it's, I can't really, I have so much respect for people that are running for office and dealing with all the craziness that is happening right now. So it's really intense just being a sitting school board member. And I, my heart goes out to those that are both sitting school board members and running a campaign during these unprecedented times. So
4: Fran, would you mind formally getting our guests introduced?
6: Welcome, welcome, welcome
1: to our school board. Word portion There's, the, there's of this the, COVID edition. Say it again. <laughs> there's aliens. I told again. you. Of course. Of course it would get me when I start talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try it again. And we'd like to welcome our guests to our second half of our first district campaign forum. Gum school board representative. <laughs> All right. How are you? you?
6: I'm well.
4: How
1: are you
6: guys? Good, good.
4: Making it through this longest year um, in the history of America. Yeah.
1: Yeah. On that, what, 537th day of March? Mm
4: -hmm. (laughs) We're happy to have you here. As we mentioned a little bit previous, uh, you are running uncontested, but that doesn't mean, you know, that the campaign stops and you know,
6: the work stops or anything, you're not just resting on your laurels. Nope. no, nope. Um, but certainly, you know, not running a campaign is um, a different, different election experience than four years ago. So, but it's different in lots of ways. We have virtual school, we have, you know, social unrest, we have crazy presidential election, et cetera, et cetera. So um, certainly it's been a crazy, crazy re- school reopening.
4: So do you want to take us through maybe your greatest hits (laughs) from this past term?
6: Greatest hits from the past term? Yeah. All right. Like things that I um, did?
4: Yeah, things you did, (laughs) things that um, you feel good about, uh, things maybe that you want to improve upon um, in the next term.
6: Yeah. Uh, uh, Well, thanks. You know, we as elected officials love to talk about ourselves. So this will be a fun, fun time and good to see your faces also. Yeah. Um, Hi. Yeah, it's it's lovely. Uh, So um, I guess the things that I am most proud of are one on kind of process and citizen engagement. Um, I think I've done a a good job at building trust with my constituents by showing up. So um, both showing up virtually, you know, via social media, showing up via my monthly newsletter, showing up via my monthly town hall that I co-host with Andreas, attending PTA meetings, organizing school cleanups, being responsive to emails. Anytime that I have an email um, with more than 20 people on a specific topic, I'll create a mini listserv and then keep in touch with those people on that specific topic. I have an Excel spreadsheet called my Action Register, where every time someone asks me something, I keep track of it and then try and follow up with them. So I'm proud of some of the systems that I put in place to make sure that I'm being responsive and reactive to what's going on in my community. Um, And I think that as a result of that, even though folks don't always agree with what I ultimately end up doing, they support, they understand and recognize the fact that I'm a hard worker and that I'm thoughtful about my decision-making process. So I'm I'm proud of that. Um, On the specific policymaking front, I am proud of a couple of things. Um, I'm proud of, I introduced a proposal to bring solar energy to RPS. And we were able to install solar panels on 10 of our schools at no cost to the district, locking in $2 million in energy savings. Uh, And I was also able to apply for a grant with the community foundation to bring some wraparound support services to support that program. So we now have solar. And up until last year, we had the biggest solar project on a public school Building in the Commonwealth. So I'm excited to report that success. Just recently, I'm excited to report I've been advocating for a parental leave policy. We didn't have one at RPS for our employees, and I have been working with the administration on that for since day one. And this year we approved eight-week parental leave uh, for our staff and teachers. So I'm excited about that. It's obviously not as far as I'd like to see us go, but it's um, it's pretty unique as far as school districts go and parental leave policies, many of which don't have any kind of parental leave, which I think is completely egregious. But I'm excited about that. I led a an effort to Um, implement gender neutral dress codes into our student code of ethics, which was approved two years ago. And then finally, my other um, project has been on school health. So advocating for more meals to be cooked from scratch, healthier meals, um, and policies to support making sure that our kids are moving throughout the day, because we all know that that physical health affects brain health. And um, we have been piloting uh, meals from scratch starting last year, and my hope is that we expand that pilot. And we also, I helped set up a school health advisory board, which is a committee of local practitioners and public health experts and we are in the process of implementing a number of reforms related to school health. So those have been some of my specific initiatives that I've been able to introduce. And then in terms of our board at large, I'm very proud of the fact that we've been able to support teacher step increases every year, that we've been able to offer teacher raises to make our raises the best as compared to our surrounding counties. We were even able to offer raises this past year in the face of budget cuts and the pandemic still able to offer a raise to our teachers. So I'm very proud of of that work. I'm proud of the fact that we are, we have doors open or virtually open on three, three brand new schools, which I'm sure you've talked about a lot, but super exciting. I am Generally, we've passed a strategic, we've done a lot of work. We've passed a strategic plan. We've done rezoning. We made a facilities plan. We have undertaken, I think, a lot of very, very big and very tough initiatives in the past four years. We hired a superintendent in the last four years. And generally, I think that uh, I'm really proud of where our board has come and, and, you know, what we're poised to do in the next four years. And there's
1: actually something that you actually t- informed me because there were some things in there that I
6: didn't know about. So I'm um excited. The um, media is really reporting stuff that is yes. not so good with RPS. There's, there's a lot of good stuff going on behind the scenes. Yes. I think.
1: Not without um, our challenges. So, of course, because you're running unopposed, you'll be here again in the next term. What do you plan to tackle in this next term? What's on your list if it's a continuation of some other things that you're currently working on or in addition to those things? What's on the list?
6: Yeah, um, I... Uh, Every year I try and set two or three priorities of things that are actually achievable uh, that I personally can influence as a board member. The thing that I am excited to introduce or to work on in the next year are Two, two things that I'm excited to work on in the next year. One is a reform of our open enrollment policies. So right now, uh, we have an open lottery system for any RPS family. And if there's extra capacity at a school, you can uh, put, submit your name in for a lottery and a random drawing to attend that school. Unfortunately, that program advantages families with access to transportation and access to information. And so, what I think could be a really interesting tool to diversify our schools and give families more options has turned into really a program that only affluent families with high information can take advantage of. So it really doesn't do a lot to diversify our schools or increase optionality for families. So I'm excited that we're going to be undertaking some reforms to our open enrollment policies. Uh, one of the things I'd like to see us do is introduce a weighted lottery, where the lottery applicants are weighted based on the demographics of our PS or of our city. We can look to code RBA for an example, a really good example of a weighted lottery. And then with that, we'll be introducing transportation as part of that. So I'm excited. Uh, I think our rezoning fell a little short last year, and um, especially as it relates to integration. And so I think reforming open enrollment is another tool in our toolbox to explore how we diversify our schools and get kids mixing and interacting and relating to kids from east, west, north, and south. Related to that is our first item in our strategic plan, Passion for Learning, which is the objective to theme all of our middle and high schools around a rigorous academic theme. And I'm very thrilled. This year we've introduced STEM academies at Henderson and MLK, but we are going to be introducing additional themes at all of our middle and high schools in the next year, as well as some magnet themes at our elementary schools, Carver Elementary, which is not in my district, but um, very geographically close to my schools, Uh, will be uh, implementing a magnet school here in the next couple of years. And I'm thrilled to be able to participate and dream and talk with families about what those programs look like. And I'll just say that I'm not a proponent of a school within a school specialty program. These programs are school-wide. So this is not tracking students within a school. This is a program with rigorous academic instruction for every student that is either zoned to that school or chooses to open enroll into that school. Um, And so I think it's going to be a great way to um, encourage children, students to think about what they want to learn and where they want to learn and again, have um, more uh, the ability for students to really look across the city at the unique character of all of our schools and not just think about their school as their neighborhood school. Or if they like their neighborhood school and, and want to take advantage of the many myriad of benefits that neighborhood schools have, they have that option available to them as well.
4: Recently, we had a candidate for city council on who said that they believed too much money had been spent on schools, the new schools. And in general, general, they're a little bit uh, iffy on the way you guys uh, allocate money. What do you say to that in response?
6: Yeah, unpacking the school construction budget has been something that I think a lot of folks have liked to use as a talking Point, that, and then the fact that RPS spends more dollars per pupil than the counties. And the reality is I can sit with someone and show them a, a spreadsheet of exactly why the costs were what they were. Um, it's very logical. I work in finance on my day job, and it's not as easy as just applying the school cost from you know, a comparable size school to our school. You have to look at the lot size. You have to look at inflation and construction prices, which has risen quite astronomically. You have to look at uh, the additional work that had to be done on the land, et cetera. And the estimates that people throw around um, that we were over budget are related to a study that Tommy Krantz, our former facilities director, put into place, I think um, three years ago. And he used... Flat numbers, He said, generally, an elementary school is $30 million. Generally, a middle school is $50 million. And generally, a high school is $75 million. So there was no nuance to his general budgeting. So I reject the claim that we are over budget, such broad estimates. So I just think it's another tool that people like to use to weaponize against RPS. And I would say that if anybody wants me to walk them through exactly why the costs are what they are, and believe me, I'm the first person to look at our budget with a critical eye. I'm happy to sit down with you, but it's not something that I can fit into a 30-word tweet um, to explain exactly why that is. So the other thing that I would just say, and I was actually having um, a really good conversation with Councilwoman Lynch, who I love, and she was saying that as a City Council rep, it can be sometimes hard to understand RPS's budget. And my what I said back is that. Uh, That is our role. That is our job and our function as a governing body is to prepare and vet and create a budget and the city council's role is to prepare and vet and create their budget and we are in this odd situation where because we don't have fiscal authority, we can't um, just make our budget and approve our budget and so Um, You know, what I'm really grateful to people like Councilwoman Lynch, Councilwoman Addison is for asking the hard questions of us, but also trusting us to do our job and, you know, not weaponizing our budget request against us just because they have the power to approve the budget and not us.
1: If you had a magic wand to fix any one thing um, with RPS, not just in your district, but in general, what would it be?
6: I I feel like my answer is going to be kind of boring because public education is really not that complicated. I mean, it's getting good teachers in a classroom and getting the kids to class and getting putting having the kids at an ability to to learn so they're fed their emotional support is taken care of you know they have transportation to school et cetera et cetera so I think that related to that it's all down to people I mean if you look at our budget it's predominantly on people and um, so I would say that I would focus on one making sure that we have the same offerings and class sizes that are at every single school. So for example, I had a conversation at a high school in my district that has class sizes of 35, 40 children. That obviously is not okay, especially as we think about reopening. And so, but the high school down the street has class sizes of 20, 25. So making sure that really we're providing equitable and equal. (laughs) We talk a lot about equity, but there's also just some equal (laughs) that needs to happen in terms of uh, resources at each school. So, making sure that our class sizes are not exorbitantly large, making sure that we have the wraparound services that our kids need to be able to sit in the seat and learn. So we are grossly understaffed, in my opinion, on guidance counselors and social workers. Um, And I want to make sure that we have those resources at school for all of our kiddos. Um, And then making sure that we have funds for teachers for the fun stuff, for electives teachers, for PE, for, um, you know, new new foreign languages. Right now, we really only offer Spanish throughout the district as an option, but wouldn't it be great if we could have a foreign language school where we offer German and French and Arabic and, you know, Mandarin? Um, So I think that sometimes we talk about the basics, which absolutely we have to get the basics in order, but I also want to make sure that we're dreaming and envisioning and really creating school as a place for children to learn and love learning and not just you know be prepared to enter the workforce. I think there's a component that we have as a school district to make sure that our students are leaving school as thoughtful committed citizens of our world regardless of what they choose to do as their next step um, post senior year. I don't know that was like basically everything fund everything but
4: (laughs) fund it (laughs) all. Thank you Um, I really appreciate it I wish we had more time but we will You know, it's not like no. you going anywhere. So, we'll have plenty of time to talk about, you know, things as they change and grow in RPS, especially, you know, in this virtual time and maybe transitioning back into, you know, in person learning some year. Yeah. Sometimes. You guys know I'm
6: always happy to you. It's always a blast. Um, yes. So,
4: thank you for doing what you do. Thank
6: you for doing what you do. Thank
4: you. Yes. And, and good luck just getting through the rest of uh, election season because, good God.
1: Yeah, before you run, just because you're, you're unopposed doesn't mean that people don't still want to know who you are and what you're doing. So please, please, please tell your constituents how they can uh, further connect with you, um, how they can learn more about maybe just who you are, even, if, even though you may not be actively campaigning, um, you know, how they can keep in touch with you, get on your, I'm having a brain fart. What is that thing you call that you send out all the time that's got the uh, notes on it? Sweater? That's like a that thing yeah newsletter and how they can come to your town hall that you share with the person that right now is currently the first district city council representative. So we
6: do town halls the same um, time every week, every, every month. So that it's not confusing. It's the fourth Wednesday of every month at 6 PM when we can in person, it's at Mary Mumford when we can't, it's via zoom. You can follow me on Facebook, Liz door. I am not great at Twitter. So don't bother. You can uh, read my medium postings also at Liz door, and my email is edoerr at rvaschools.net. And my phone number is 804-731-6949. And you can shoot me a text or shoot me an email or post on my wall if you would like to get on my newsletter and if you follow me, I also post my newsletter to my social media accounts, so you can also sign up when the next one comes out, which I'm a couple of days behind on, but it should be coming out here in the next week.
4: Thanks again. Appreciate it. Bye. Talk soon. Bye. Will you please do the outro for us? I most certainly will.
1: Okay. Okay. Yes, indeedy. It most definitely was lit. Okay. Yes, it was it is it was it was a good time we started we did it backwards and it worked out well and i'm glad that it's over
4: well that part's over now we have yeah. the mayoral that's our last one and yes. it happens to be like so <laughs> that will It'll um kick off it. the fun drive yeah. maybe they'll bring money on fun drive day so um, that should be interesting. Can y'all bring money so we yeah. can stay on the air? Bring some money with you. Tell your friends. Bring. Tell your friends.:
1: Yes.: Bring, also bring tell- 957 pennies. <laughs> Quarters. Dollars. The longer I talk, the more it goes up.: <laughs> just bring it all.:
4: <laughs> Just bring it all.: You'll hear more drive messaging from us, but I just thought I'd th- throw that little nugget out there that our mayoral forum uh, will air uh, the first day of fun drive for WRIR. Uh, That'll be a fun one to tune into, obviously. But anyway, continue, madam.
1: Richmond, you know what time it is. Flint still has dirty water, and New Jersey does too. RPS is fully funded, but we're going to need that and some more and some more and some to infinity and beyond to get us through COVID 2020 and 2021. Maybe 2022 too. We don't know. And you know it, I know it. We all know it together. Reading Rainbow. That's what I feel like it should be because it's real simple. We all know it. Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it one day at a time, one election at a time, one candidate at a time, one show at a time, one shot at a time.
4: I don't do shots. How about a glass of wine?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And a puff.
1: Man, we get there, man. we get there. It's been a wild ride. See you next week.
0: I'm on the right track. I'm finally found. You need some soul searching. The time is now. All I need is one mic. One mic. All I need is one mic, that's all I ever needed in this world, cash, all I need is one mic, the cars, the jewelry, all I need is one mic, spread my voice to the whole world, baby.